Hey, I'm Robbie Takak, and welcome to Gusto Sessions with Jeff Myers. The idea behind this podcast is simple, to discuss, promote, and celebrate the music, arts, and culture of Western New York. The following episode features Marcus Lillo, a world-class jazz pianist, songwriter, and teacher who's using the power of music to create positive change in our community. Marcus recently stopped by GCR Audio to record two songs live and to have a chat with Buffalo News music critic Jeff Myers. Topics include Marcus's Haitian roots and their influence on his music. Marcus's belief that the techniques of jazz can have a much larger effect on society as a whole, and how his work as director of the Love Supreme School of Music aims to uplift the underserved communities of Buffalo. So, sit back and enjoy Gusto Sessions with Jeff Myers as we get to know Marcus Lobo. Marcus, man, pleasure to meet you. Uh, I want. Yeah, man. I wanted to start by asking you a little bit of a music nerd question because, you know, we'll take out the nerd, a music lover question, but it's it's rare for a musician to be so gifted in the realm of classical music and also be so fluid in jazz. So I'm wondering, how do you draw a connective line between formal classical music and improvisation swing and the dynamic interplay of jazz? Without blurring the lines between the two genres, I think it's important to note that the purpose of music is unchanging, you know, from genre to genre. The goal is to connect, and the devices that are used in those respective genres can be borrowed, right, to serve the primary purpose, which is to connect with other people. So in that context, classical playing informs my jazz playing. You know, you think about the Cantabile style of Chopin's playing, it's like a singer. And so if you can use that, you know, in your improv to bring out, you know, something that's eerily familiar to people in um, expressing an idea in jazz, it works well on a, on a ballad, you know, or using technical devices because um, classical music has a really long history and you can use a lot of those technical devices to better express some of the ideas in jazz. And jazz itself is very expressive, especially dynamically. So I can use some of that to bring that to jazz. In terms of the history, it's just that um, I, I grew up in Haiti and a lot of the players that I knew in the beginning were all classical players. And all the, although I didn't have too many years of lessons, but playing you know, French church hymns and you know, kind of frequenting other musicians that were classical musicians allowed me to pick up some of the stuff they were doing. And I grew up for the love of both those styles. Although I feel as though later in my life, I tended to lean more towards jazz, but I'm still very much a classical lover. I'm set to graduate at the end of this semester in December of 2022 from a classical program at UB. So I think that, you know, that is its own testament of my love for the music, Um, both jazz and classical. And Ultimately, I think when one loves music, that difference is made, but it's not as central to my musicianship, right? It's that I love classical for what it is, love jazz for what it is, and when one can serve a purpose in the other, then we're happy campers, you know? That's that's where the magic comes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you mentioned Haiti, uh, and I wanted to talk to you about uh, Mano Charlemagne. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for listeners who might not be familiar with him, uh, Mano Charlemagne, the, a Haitian, generally speaking, he is 
been called, you know, the Haitian Bob Marley, which I hope is not an in- insult to anyone, but his music is very important to Haiti and to Haitians. Your song, and I want to make sure I say it, La Fume. That's correct. Uh, it's just a beautiful, and it fused different influences in a really seamless way. It was an amazing recording, inspired. Um, everyone can hear that on uh, wherever they stream music. Right. Uh, that single's available. But uh, I'm wondering, what did growing up in Haiti give to your understanding of music? And also, did it ingrain in you an understanding of music's power as an agent of social change, bringing it back to mono? Man, that's putting it mildly. Haiti has one of the most consummate and richest cultural heritages that I can think of in terms of its legacy. Um, For those who don't know, Haiti is the only country to have successfully revolted from a system of slavery in all of world history and emerge as a nation. That's never happened before and nobody's done it since either. And so that is reflected directly in the culture and the music. It's a proud people with deep African roots. And the rhythmic heritage that that, you know, leaves us as Haitians is deep. Um, And when we study other cultures and other musical styles, almost every Haitian creator that I know is usually drawn towards kind of infusing whatever else they learn with Haitian music. And so Mano, you know, he kind of, he embodies a lot of that for me because he, first of all, was a very outspoken political activist, especially against the dictatorships of the Duvaliers. And um, even thereafter against the military junta that assumed power after Duvalier was toppled in 86. And so his music is literally what people would be singing in the streets as they would be fighting for their freedoms or their right, you know, to, to have access to um, a better life for themselves and for their children. And so it really, for me, put even more purpose into the purpose of music, if that makes any sense, it right? Does. It does. It's that Mano's voice became so powerful and, and the way that he interacted with Haitian um culture even outside when he was sent into exile after Aristide became president when he came back you know it was at the acclaim of everybody else in the nation literally following him home from the airport you know and that kind of impact being a musician who also fights for the power of democracy and you know um the value of culture because Mano really took a lot of the traditional um, Haitian music that was marginalized, at, you know, um, and and classical music at the time was very much preferred to that. People didn't think of that music as worthy of esteem at the time, and he brought it to the forefront, you know, brought it to the international scene. I can't remember the name of that producer who produced um, Silence of the Lambs, but he was a very good friend of Mano's, and he helped promote his music all across the U.S. and, and Europe, and he became better known across the world for for the work that he did. And so when he passed away, <laughs> because I grew up a very, you know, removed church kid, I didn't know about his music. And I guess I could say that I felt some kind of shame for not knowing who that was when I started reading about him. And so it came to mind that I should somehow pay tribute to, you know, what he did. And it came a little later in time because I think he died in 2017. But 
um, finally in 2020, we managed to put that single out and pay tribute not only to what he had done, but also make a statement because a lot of what he had already written about was still relevant in Haiti's political climate in 2020. And so I think it was a fitting um, um, tune to arrange and, and publish at the time when it was published. And it, it was, I think, the best debut I could have as yeah. a pianist or as, as an artist. You know, it makes a statement as to what I stand for. Beautiful. I'd like you to t you know, tell us a little bit about what you're going to play today and also who the musicians that you've brought along to oh, perform man. with you. <laughs> um, yeah, so today I will be playing two tunes that are infused with um, traditional Haitian rhythms. And the first one will be a rather fast-paced tune, Pese Café, and it's, it's basically a folk song that is a story about a boy, you know, who's... Um, parents, oh, his mother sends him out to weigh some coffee because Haiti was the largest exporter of coffee at some point, and he gets arrested. And that really is a, reflect, a reflection of the many dictatorships that Haiti's been through. Because he gets arrested, that means he, he lost the coffee. They probably got it from him. And now he's panicking and he's worried about what he's going to say when he gets home because he was sent out with the product and he's coming back without it. <laughs> but this was my arrangement of it. It was my first true expression of musicianship before I even started writing anything of my own. Um, I wrote this arrangement my sophomore year at UB, and I'm here playing with some UB students, um, Dontre Alonzo on percussion, Tash Felton on bass, and a non-UB student, um, Isaiah Gathers on drums, but he is the, uh, um, the drum instructor over at the Love Supreme School of Music. And these guys are, you know, young African-American men who deserve to be nurtured, who have great love for the music. And as you'll hear them, they're very passionate musicians, you know. Performing live from Studio A at GCR Audio, here's Marcus Lolo with his arrangement of Pese Café.
So speaking of social change, um, tell me about your role as director of the Love Supreme School of Music in Buffalo. Um, you're in a position to truly change lives there. I'm wondering what effect does the discipline of learning music have on young people in your experience so far? Wow. Uh, first, speaking of my directorship as um, um, leader of the Love Supreme School of Music and the Love Supreme School of Music faculty band, it gives context to the work that I've done in my life up to this point. The Love Supreme School of Music is what I would like to have had when I was growing up back in Haiti, right? And its mission, what I hope to accomplish through my work there, is to provide the opportunity for people who otherwise could not access a high level of music education to have it, to have it. Because I believe that the virtues that are required for good musicianship are also transferable skills for, the, for all other aspects of life. And for a child in their early age to learn what it's like to work towards a distant goal, put in consistent work day after day to get better at something, to learn the complexity of things that otherwise appear simple, right? How to blow an arpeggio on a trumpet, which sounds easy, but when you understand the value of the hard work that goes on behind that, that translates into other areas of your life. It seeps into your personal philosophy. And so I not only hope, but I work tirelessly to ensure that that is instilled very deeply in those children to the point that as the school grows, it also becomes a part of Buffalo's culture. That's right. Right. Because let's, let's not kid ourselves for a lot of those so-called art genres of music, right? Um, I.e. classical and jazz, right? A lot of that has become an elitist type of circle for a, for a lot of people. And it turns out that very talented people often don't have the opportunity to learn as they should about some of these things. So our goal is to create an infrastructure in this community for those children to have access. Number one, right? We want them to have access. But second, we want to create a culture of excellence in, music in musicianship. And as we know, jazz is probably one of the more complex forms of music to Clearly. learn. Clearly. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And so by making our methodology jazz-centric, meaning that we teach people about the art of improvisation, about form early on in their education, right? I mean, you're a musician, you know, you know um, and your son is a musician. And so the music culture runs in, in your family. I'm sure you understand some of the um, aspects of music education that leave to be desired. Meaning when a parent puts their child in music school, a lot of times the goal is for the teacher to give them something to play to the satisfaction of the parent without them really learning about the art of what they're doing, well why said. that's important, how they can have a voice. How is that a form of expression? And just so I can make this shorter, the, I mean, improvisation being a central part of jazz, I'm hoping that they use the art to overcome other challenges, right? That are not music related, knowing how to act in the moment creatively to solve other issues, be them, you know, be they academic or social or have any other aspects. Before I close about this, I want to give a big shout out 
to Dawn Martin Barry Walker. Dawn is the person who brought me on as the director of the Love Supreme School of Music, who believed in me when I had no prior administrative experience and kind of ushered me into this role while supporting me and running the Pappy Martin Legacy Jazz Collective, which produces one of the biggest festivals in Western New York so far, and uh, so many other things like the Coltrane Birthday Recent Celebration, Coltrane Betty Carter birthday Celebration, celebration. Yeah. you know, and now the Celestial Jazz Series that um, that happens at Antioch Church here in Buffalo, and the Dr. K. Martin Scholarship that we give to students every year. So. All in all, man, the school is a subsidiary of a large organization who is dead set on making valuable and impactful contributions to Buffalo's community. And I'm very, very proud to be a part of that. I've always seen a correlation between the ability to improvise in music and the ability to develop critical thinking in <laughs> other aspects of life. Agreed. I mean, not just the, oh, I can think on my feet, but the ability to listen to offer commentary after you've listened. <laughs> you see where I'm going with right, this. Right, I right, mean, right. You know, uh, <laughs> I know what you're the doing. whole world could use that, but uh, America could really use that right now. Goodness. <laughs> don't I agree with Maybe that. we don't want to go too far down that Man, rabbit hole. I but... mean, it's, it, it really is. It really is a valuable thing to think about, though, because the ability to process what you've heard before you offer it an answer is the basis for all understanding communication, right? It's It's making the person feel heard while you answer, not sitting and lying in wait and hoping to kind of fire back at the person. And we see this across most political conversations and on TV with some of the most educated people in America who look to fire back at people. To They're waiting to get their licks in. Right. And, 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 you know, <laughs> we, we spoke earlier before the interview about the idea of democracy as exemplified in jazz. And, you know, when Marcellus is a big proponent of this in that, you know, it emphasizes your individual rights, your soloing, your, you know, individual voice, but also your contribution to the collective to the in a meaningful good. way. The greater right? the good. The greater good, right. That's a much better way of putting it, philosophically speaking. But yes, a contribution to the greater good, that's meaningful, right? Because you're not playing just whatever you want, right? There is a structure. If you can, everyone's going to know it, man. <laughs> right, right. And when you solo, you do play, so to speak, whatever you want within a certain, I don't even want to call it set of rules because jazz is as free as you're going to get in music. But still, it is, I, but it has to relate to the harmonic information. Exactly. It has, so it, everything has its own context. But yeah, I do agree. I think cultivating that so much that it becomes part of your lifestyle kind of forces, now, I wouldn't say forces, maybe that's too forceful a word, but I think it compels you, yeah. right, to speak and think in that way. You're thinking in your feet, but thinking within the context of what's being said while making a meaningful contribution to the conversation at hand. So I agree. Amen. Speaking of education and, and the work you're doing at, at the Love Supreme School, um, Buffalo is a city of mentors, I believe. Good God. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, I raised my son as a musician here, but I couldn't have done it without so many hugely talented musicians in the music community also acting as mentors. And so many of them gave so free with their time and talent and still, you know, and routinely do to encourage the next generation of musicians. Um, have you found this to be the case? I know you have, but I'd love to hear you <laughs> expound on that. Not only have I found it to be the case, but I'm probably one of the most, I guess, 
I don't want to say lucky, but fortunate beneficiaries of that fact. If I started listing everybody who's mentored me in Buffalo in one way or other, as a person who was not born and raised in Buffalo, I probably would take the next two or three minutes just dropping names. But in music alone, man, Jerry Livingston, George Caldwell, Sabu Adeola, um, Rashawn Odell, um, Preston Brown, Karen Saxon. Um, I mean, I have plenty of names, and I hope I'm not offending anybody by not calling out certain names. Daniel Powell, DP, DP. Um, um, Rod Bonner, all of these people who sometimes I haven't even met too many times, but when they see you, they have a contribution to make to your life. But going back to Jerry Livingston, I serve as the music minister at Bethel EME Church, and I had the distinct opportunity to play with Jerry and rehearse with Jerry twice a week for three years. Jerry has given selflessly of himself, his time, his resources, his music. Jerry gave me bass lessons for free for a year, right? And my father passed away from cancer last year. Jerry had never met my dad, but he would give me birthday cards and end of year cards to pass on to him. He'd never met him, <laughs> right? And when, <laughs> funny, <laughs> we went to church together and when he, re- when he would um, write a name on the envelope, he would just say, to Brother Marcus's dad, <laughs> you know? And when we lost Jerry, man, it was one of the hardest times of my life because he died within a couple months of my dad being gone. And so one of the tunes that I'll be playing today, Nocturnal Lament, is dedicated to three major losses. Well, let's say four major losses that I had that year. It was my father, my uncle, Patrick Lolo in Haiti, um, my friend from UB, Joseph Pierre, and Jerry Livingston. And through Jerry's work, my life is enriched a thousandfold. There won't be a day in my life where I won't know or remember who Jerry Livingston is because although we didn't spend too many years in comparison to the other people that I've known all my life, Jerry has made an impact on my life that can never be measured or replaced. And let me not talk about George, who literally made my career possible. George introduced me to Dawn, which means that every major thing that has happened in my life over the last couple of years are the result of George's work. And Today, as we're recording this, I just came back from a lesson with him. George doesn't stop pouring into me as an artist and as a person. We talk about life. He's a mentor in more than one way. Don and all of these people. I mean, I can go on and on, as you can see. We'll stop here. But Buffalo is, in fact, in that sense, the city of good neighbors. And that people like Eric Hubner, right, the chairman of the music department, <laughs> has made my life so much better by creating opportunities that even I was reluctant to take right? He will put me in places, you know, that will challenge me to do work that goes beyond what I'm currently doing. So everybody at UB, Jonathan Goldluff, Brian Mosley, you know, all of these people who've poured into me, but especially Eric Hubner, I'm very grateful for the work that these people have done with me and through me. And you mentioned uh, the song that is dedicated to, among others, uh, your, your late My father, father and, and Jerry and, and Livingston, Jerry. yeah. Um, well, that song... I think, how would I say this? That song came to me as um, as a, a mourning process, right? It was taking place in my life over losing these people. And I wanted to, to process the loss in as healthy and productive a way as possible. Because um, the way that I think of grief and loss is when a space is made into your life, a void 
is created in your life, you now have to rearrange everything in your life in such a way that that void isn't just a gaping hole staring back at you that creates, you know, um, more negative emotions and states of mind. And so I wrote this song in the dead of night, as romantic as that sounds, right? It must have been two in the morning. And I sat down and, you know, the melody came to me just as clearly as I'm talking to you. And it wasn't a finished product, but I worked at it. And I tried to capture um, um, the sense of what it was. And it's in minor, probably because at the same time I was studying Beethoven's Funeral March on um, Opus 26. And, uh, you know, that that carries a certain you know, heaviness to it Gravitas. and going through that and, and learning a funeral march is an ironic thing, but I thought, well, how can I draw from that and, and create something that is entirely my own? That doesn't sound like Beethoven. That rhythm that's over it is called a young value. I mean, it, we've tried our best to recreate that. And it's the, you know, dance of the serpent in Haitian traditional, you know, it's a six four da 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 da. And if you even see the dance that goes with it, it's, you know, the body is waving through that six four rhythm. And um I felt that was, you know, apropos for what I was doing, for what I wanted to create. And sure enough, man, it, it came as a as a as a pretty satisfying finished product for me. We premiered it at the Quinn City Jazz Festival this year. Um, myself with Preston Brown, shout out to Preston and Cal Palmer, you know, and those other cats that I normally play with. And so these guys heard it, they fell in love with it. It's very near and dear to my heart, as you can imagine, you know, it's, it's a very deep expression of how I felt and how I still feel about these people that I lost, that I love. So I hope you enjoy it. Once again, here's Marcus Lolo performing his original composition, Nocturnal Lament.
You've been listening to Gusto Sessions with Jeff Myers. Recorded and mixed at GCR Audio by Jenna Rotowski, Mike Bridges, Rich Ells, and Mark Hunt. Produced by Brian Federick. Mastered by Fred Betchen. Gusto Sessions theme song by Jeff Myers. Gusto Sessions with Jeff Myers is brought to you by The Buffalo News, Music is Art, and GCR Audio Recording Studios. Please click subscribe for future episodes. I'm Robbie. Thanks for listening.